but we're much better than what we showed against them, and this is what we're going to show them to the 90 plus podcast here's your host ben rigetti and sebastian pereira Woo! that intro is still fire shout out kaden fanshawe for the fire intro once again that is absolutely amazing uh welcome everyone to the 90 plus podcast once again i'm here um, Sebastian Pereira joined by Ben Rigetti. Um, I'm just doing the intro for today, not the host. Um, ben is still the host and I'm the co-host, but it's all good. Um, I'm just trying to practice my intros here today. And we got a, quite the episode for you guys coming up. Um, we obviously are previewing the rest of the season for the Whitecaps and having a lot of guests come on. Uh, the other day we had uh, Three guests, uh, all three representing different teams across the Western Conference. We had someone from RSL, someone from San Jose Earthquakes, and someone from LAFC. And today, we have another three guests to help preview the rest of the season for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Ben, who are we having on the show tonight? First off, Sebastian, hell of a job in the intro. Keep it up. Um, and uh, yeah, so the other three teams that the Whitecaps are going to be facing uh, facing facing are the Portland Timbers who they actually played tonight so up first we have our reporter covering them from the Rose City Review it's William Conwell so he is up first in just a minute's time here following him we've got Josh Gessman from the Corner of the Galaxy podcast great chat with him as well and finishing up episode 22 of the 90 plus podcast Nico Moreno from Sounder at Heart and Pulso Sports so Lots of exciting guests to talk to. We had a lot of fun over the last couple of days. All six guests, and like Sebastian said, the first three over on episode 21, so go check that out. You can find the link for that episode on SoundCloud, on Spotify, or you can find it through our Twitter at 90plusPodcast. From there, you can see myself and Sebastian as well. Uh, and same thing goes for this episode, episode 22. Uh, once it comes out, it's going to be up on our Twitter. I'm going to promote it on there. We've got a lot of love and a lot of uh, support on the first episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that one, and hopefully you guys are going to enjoy this one just as much, and we'll get started with it right now. Here's William Conwell from the Rose City Review. All right, welcome to our first guest of episode 22 here at the 90 Plus Podcast. Myself, Ben Rigetti, as always, joined by my co-host, Sebastian Pereira, bringing you a list of special guests on today's episode, previewing the rest of the Whitecaps season. Episode 21 came out just a couple of days ago. If you haven't already, go check that out. In the meantime, though, we've got Portland, Seattle, and the LA Galaxy tonight. Uh, well, uh, on this today's episode. Well, we do have Portland tonight, and helping break that down for us is William Conwell of the Rose City Review down in Oregon. Will, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. All good. Pleasure to have you on. Uh, so I guess we'll just dive right into it. It's been a, it's, it's an interesting year, obviously, you know, despite the shortened season and the season suspension and everything. Portland won the MLS's back tournament. You guys are tied for first. Last year, not quite, I don't want to say as successful or whatever, but uh, finished middle of the pack and sixth in the Western Conference. What's the biggest change from last year to this year? What's the biggest, at least on the field, what's been the biggest uh, difference maker? Well, uh, obviously, at the end of last year, the Timbers lost Brian Fernandez, 
uh, you know, he, uh, he had his troubles uh, and he's no longer with the team, uh, despite some really electric games. Uh, now the Timbers, uh, you know, they brought in a few different looks at forward, Felipe Mora, uh, Yarek Nuskoda, uh, and um, of course they still have Jeremy Obobese. So uh, figuring out how to get the most out of those three players uh, while still you know, building the team around uh, the likes of Diego Chara and Diego Valeri um, is, uh, is sort of where the Timbers are at right now. Um, and it's giving them a, a similar look to last year, but with some, some important differences without Fernandez to be that game-breaking forward that he was at times. And you spoke about the, the new strikers, obviously, coming into the team, Yaroslav Nezgoda and uh, Felipe Mora. Um, obviously, Jeremy Abobasi has been quite the player for you guys the past two years. Um, but what does that bring, having, I guess, three different dimensional forwards um, to Gio Savarese? Because now he has just even more options to choose from, uh, and he can go with different game plans for any sort of team. So... Having those three different strikers, how does that make this team a lot stronger than what it was already before? Uh, well, on the one hand, um, it does give the Timbers different looks that they can bring up top. Uh, I mean, Mora, Niazgoda, and Ebubise are all uh, very different players. Um, you know, that being said, in, in some ways it has seemed at times like uh, almost too much of a good thing is uh, the Timbers kind of struggled to figure out how to use those guys together. Um, you know, we've, uh, we've can make the most of their differing abilities. Um, but, you know, more often you see something like Ewobise uh, deployed out on the wing um, where, you know, you're not often seeing the most of his holdup play. Uh, like we uh, like we did uh, when he's playing up top. So uh, it's uh, it's been really interesting seeing how the Timbers try and use uh, this group of forwards. Um, and when it comes together, it can look really nice. Uh, but you know, it's one of those things where we're still kind of waiting to uh, see the best of what that group can do. And uh, you said yeah, a couple of players might be either a little bit out of position or not, you know, where you, you would prefer, preferably like to see them. Uh, over the last several weeks, we've seen Portland play a variety of formations, a 4-2-3-1, 4-4-2, 4-3-3, 4-4-1-1, you know, the whole nine. Uh, if you, you know, were given the keys to the Portland front office and you got to call the shots, how are you lining this team up? What formation are you sticking with and why? Well, the, uh, the Timbers over the last seven years or so since Diego Valeri's been in the team uh, have really been built, uh, you know, I mentioned this earlier, they've been built around uh, his ability and Diego Chara's ability. Now, this year it kind of looked like it was going to be uh, Sebastian Blanco's team, and I'm sure we'll talk more about him later. But, uh, you know, with his injury, the uh, the Timbers have sort of gone back to the the – the Larry and Chara centric idea. And um, what those two guys do extremely well uh, is run the break, uh, you know, get out in the open fields and break guys down with a couple of simple passes. Uh, 
a move here, a move there, and a finish. Um, and that's what the Timbers have, in my mind, uh, excelled at in the last few years. Um, and uh, right now, it's sort of what they're leaning on again. So, um, you know, as much as it would be fun to really experiment with other things, uh, anything that can really um, enable that game plan and allow the Timbers to get the most out of those two guys while they're still here and still uh, central to the team is, I think, really where you have to uh, we have to go. Yeah, and those guys, honestly, I've been following the league since 2013, so I've been watching Diego Valeri ever since he came into the league, and it's a it's a pleasure really to just continue seeing him play in a Timbers jersey, even though I, like obviously we cover Vancouver, it's just so nice to still see him there. I mean, I wouldn't I'm be able to imagine the Timbers without Valeri, in all honesty, um, but just kind of come out of the, the shell um, this season. Obviously, I think put in quite a bunch of great performances, almost in a little bit of a Darlington Nagby role, kind of. Um, so how how big has his impact been this season uh, alongside Diego Char in midfield? Yeah, Williamson uh, has been hugely important to the team this year. Uh, his passing and movement, uh, but also his uh, willingness to, you know, put in some of the, the defensive dirty work. Uh, all of that's been really important, uh, especially um, with when you look last year, uh, Christian Paredes was sort of in that role, and he, uh, Timbers fans thought, was sort of primed for a breakout year this year. Uh, but he he's had some struggles um, in, uh, in the 2020 season, so uh, without him there to uh, provide a, a, a real solid starter next to Diego Chara, the fact that Williamson has stepped up um, has filled a huge role or a, a huge hole in the Timbers lineup um, with some real quality play. Plus, I mean, the goals that Williamson gets involved in are almost always very pretty looking, and I mean, we're on board with that. Does it kind of remind you of Darlington Nagby in a way? Yeah, I mean, he does. Uh, he uh, He's very good at sort of escaping those tight situations uh, and very good at playing the short, uh, quick combination passes um, that are both things that Nagby uh, is quite good at. Uh, you know, Nagby has a, has a big place in the hearts of Timbers fans, obviously. Uh, so it's... Uh, sometimes difficult to compare players to him. Um, but, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of similarities in their games. Um, kind of, uh, we've talked about positives, and it's been a positive season for Portland, obviously. You're up, near, you're up at the top of the West, uh, successful down trip down in Orlando. Uh, a little, you know, we're used to being negative here in Vancouver. <laughs> Not a lot's gone right for us this year. But uh, where, where is Portland's weakness, if there is one? Uh, where is the kind of the red, ar- red arrows kind of pointing at, if you're the opposition on Portland? Well, one thing that uh, I think Portland um, have struggled with this year is getting the sort of complete uh, 90 minutes out of their team, losing uh, uh, either through losing uh, their wins, uh, you know, running running down late in the game, or uh, through losing mental confidence in the match. And we've seen that in just a bunch of goals given up late in halves, uh, first half, second half, doesn't matter. Timbers have given up 
a ton of goals at the end of those halves. So um, the uh, the ability to go a full 90 minutes uh, without having um, some like real breakdowns has been something that the Timbers have struggled with. Uh, beyond that, um, you know, teams that have been able to sort of pull the Timbers out of their defensive shape uh, have really done well against the Timbers this year. I mean, if you look at the uh, the first Seattle game after the Timbers came back from uh, from the MLS's back tournament, you know, uh, the Sounders sort of pulled them out of their own end. Uh, and then we're able to break against the Timbers, whereas that's you know the exact opposite of what the Timbers generally want to be doing. Um, but then if you look at the second Seattle game, uh, the uh, the Timbers win. The Timbers were able to shut things down, um, you know, keep keep their defensive shape uh, and get out on the break, and then just lock the uh, lock the match down. So um, that uh, that has generally been a key for the Timbers over the last couple of years is the as they've uh, played this style uh, and it's going to continue to be key until they make some significant changes. And how, how has the, you spoke about it earlier, but how has the injury of Sebastian Blanco affected this team? I mean, we've seen Yumi Chara kind of settle in a little bit better into the side. He got three goals in the last three games, but um, how, how big of a miss is not having Sebastian Blanco in this team, considering how good he's been for this team this year? Yeah, Blanco, um, beyond being just a fantastic player, uh, a guy who can make things happen in the attack, but also is, I think, extremely underrated in how much defensive effort he also puts in. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. You know, not, not having him on the pitch has, has left uh, both the, uh, the positional hole, but also... Uh, you know, a, a mental leadership uh, vacuum for the Timbers that needed to be filled. Um, and I think that with the uh, with the rate at which games were being played and the amount of travel that was going on, I think it was really hard for them to uh, kind of step up and take care of that. But um, as we've seen in the last few games, the Timbers have looked a little, uh, a little more mentally with it, uh, a little bit more stuck in. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I think that that is... A uh, an indicator that oh, sort of that problem has been hopefully remedied. Um, and one uh, just as we're starting to crunch down on time here, uh, just a couple more things that we want to address. Uh, Portland scored the second most goals in the West, but they also have uh, conceded the second most of any team above the playoff line. Do you think that this sort of uh, back and forth, I guess, sort of style is? Uh, do, do you think that that's kind of sustainable? As you know, there's we're getting into a lot of games down the stretch here. We've got ten games in six weeks or whatever it is. Uh, or do you think maybe a little bit more attention needs to be paid at the back end? Uh, you know, if the Timbers are able to keep themselves together, uh, I think that their style of play, if anything, is actually extremely well suited to this uh, sort of rapid fire. Uh, series of games, if they're able to get on a roll, um, you know, they've, uh, they've excelled uh, in the sort of tournament style of play uh, for the most part. And, uh, you know, like we saw at the MLS's back tournament, you know, if they are able to uh, just keep, uh, keep it together, then they really could uh, use this, uh, this, 
quick series of matches coming up to close out the season to uh, just stay uh, stay ahead of the pack. All right, thank you. And um, I guess uh, kind of as we wrap up here, the uh, obviously elephant in the room. We the Whitecaps play Portland tonight. Whitecaps, we've even despite the fact that we've won three of our last five games, none of those games have been pretty. Uh, Portland, on the other hand, uh, uh, pretty successful and good-looking season, good-looking last couple of games. Uh, what are your predictions coming into tonight? Again, it's difficult, not difficult, but uh, uh, an away game at, <laughs> in Portland. It's not every day. So uh, what are your predictions for tonight's game? Well, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a very strange field down at Providence Park uh, for both teams. Um, that being said, uh, I have to imagine that Vancouver are going to uh, bounce back fairly well. Um, and I think the Timbers uh, should be um, able to carry forward some of the, the um, solid play that we've seen from them in the last couple of games. Uh, so I really think it's going to be a surprisingly uh, – Tense, surprisingly close match that uh, could go either way. Um, but as a homer, I will give a uh, a narrow win to the Timbers. I'm going to say one nil as they go for uh, defense first, last and always. Okay, not it's scoring. 2020. You never think, know what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not scoring Vancouver specialty. <laughs> <laughs> Playing right into our wheelhouse. <laughs> well. Um, Will, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us here uh, on the Ninety Post podcast. It was great having you. Um, we obviously wish you the best of luck uh, covering the Timbers for the rest of the season and in the future. Um, we were hoping for a Whitecaps win tonight. We'll see what happens, but um, either way, we'll enjoy the game. And yeah, once again, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. All right, we are back with our fifth guest of this Whitecaps rest of season preview. I am joined from covering the LA Galaxy on the Corner of the Galaxy podcast, Josh Guessman. Josh, welcome to the 90 Plus podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're happy to have you on. Like we said, we're breaking down a little bit of every team's, uh, how the rest of the season's gone for everyone else and realistically how they're going to fare and at this point how many goals they're going to put past the Whitecaps in due time. But um. Yeah, I mean, we, the, you know, the Whitecaps Galaxy, we did play before the season got called off back in March, if you can, you know, stretch back that far. I know a lot's happened since then. Uh, but it, it, was a, it was a 1-0 win for Vancouver. We are still clinging on to that as some sort of a success. Right. And, um, right. yeah, yeah, I was going to say with the red card in there as well, let's, let's just remember, you know, yeah. this was, yeah. and it was pre-COVID too. What a, what a simpler time we all, uh, exactly. we all lived in. It was great. <laughs> Uh, to be with Whitecaps of five wins on the year, three of them are against 10 men. So, you know, take from that what you will. You know, we're, right. we're just outside the playoffs. Take that with a pinch of salt moving forward. But uh, back then, you know, you guys were playing, it, like you said, simpler times, a lot's changed. Back then, you guys were playing a uh, 4-1-4-1. Ever uh, since Orlando, for the most part, it's been a 4-2-3-1. What do you, uh, I'm not sure how you stand on the 4-2-3-1. How do you like it or not like it and what works and what differences have you seen from before and after, I guess, the MLS's back tournament? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think as uh, as all Galaxy fans sort of watching and as reporters covering, we're trying to figure out which LA Galaxy team is real and, and which one's sort of, you know, the pretender. Was it the, uh, was it the MLS's back tournament where the LA Galaxy didn't have a win, um, scored some goals, were in some games, that type of thing? Um, or was it the team that went on a four-game winning streak and looked like they were unstoppable and all, all of a sudden figured everything out? I, I don't think that's the real LA Galaxy, so I don't think if you're, if you're, you're your Whitecaps fans should be worried about that. Um, no, I mean, the formation fit for what they were trying to do, and I think it still technically fits, um, but with the uh, the return of, of Javier Chicharito Hernandez coming back and, and Jonathan Dos Santos, and I think that Vancouver game, uh, Dos Santos played 45 minutes and had to come out with an injury. Uh, then there was a red card in the second half. So, um, you know, he was injured for a while. Chicharito was injured for a while. Um, so those two just started for the first time, along with Christian Pavone, for the first time since that Vancouver game. So this was uh, this was our uh, the last game the Galaxy um, ended up losing to Real Salt Lake 2-0 in Salt Lake. Um, so yeah, I mean, it works. I think there's a lot of galaxy fans who are questioning whether or not something like a four, four, two, which is obviously a little simpler, a little throwback, but, um, getting some help for, for Javier Hernandez Chicharito, trying to find him, uh, some help because as we know from his history, he is more of a poacher than he is sort of a playmaker. And so, uh, the galaxy so far haven't been able to link up with him. I think that's been the biggest sort of issue, um, with with a lot of things going forward. But having said that, he hasn't played a whole bunch. So uh, the, the, the woes that the Galaxy have had certainly aren't just limited to uh, Chicharito isn't playing well. Um, he's not playing well. The Galaxy aren't playing well. They're not finding him in dangerous spots. Ethan Zubak, who was in his position, is a black hole of offense. It's where offense goes to die most of the time. Uh, the LA Galaxy haven't had a right winger since uh, they dismissed Alexander Katai uh, because of some comments that his wife made. Uh, so that's been sort of a... It's been filled on occasion with some success, but there's nobody who's a right winger who's been playing that position. And so uh, with Yoni Gonzalez, who uh, apparently just got into the, to the United States about 10 days ago, his quarantine is up. He was supposed to train with the Galaxy for the first time on Saturday. Um, I don't think you're going to see him in today's game on Sunday, but going forward, you should probably expect Yoni Gonzalez to be the right winger that's going to be there. So having said all those things and looking at it, I feel like the four, two, three, one is still going to be where the LA galaxy try to sort of make their bread and butter. But you know, I think the positioning of Chicharito changes that dramatically because he's not a nine up there. Um, he's more of a, of a withdrawn nine, if, if you can call it that, um, which sort of puts him in a clash with Sebastian Legette and that opens up a whole other can of worms. So um, yeah, there's some, there's some issues. I don't think anybody has anything figured out for the LA galaxy right now. Oh, that sounds Far too familiar for our case up in Vancouver right now. Uh, but I mean, taking it back a little bit, you said uh, coming out of the MLS's back tournament, no one really knew which galaxy is the LA Galaxy. Was it the team that you know struggled and had some issues on the field down in uh, Florida? Or like you said, there was a four-game win streak right off the bat, fired everyone up and bolstering right up the standings and all this sort of stuff. Uh, galaxy do, and like, again, it's very close right now in the West, uh, but Galaxy are currently second to last in the West. Despite it being close, I think it's six points between 11th and first right now. It's right. It's yeah. There's so 11th doesn't really do you. I don't know. Uh, do you feel as though kind of sitting outside the playoff line, uh, down near the bottom of the standings, like technically, do you think that sort of reflects your season or as a whole, or is it not as bad as it seems on paper? The answer to that, I guess, is yes and no. I mean, it's as bad as it is because that's where they're at, right? I mean, that's that's one of the things we always say: the results don't lie and the points don't lie, and it is what it is. Um, 
I'll say that during the four game winning streak, I certainly had questions about whether or not they would be able to keep it up. Just looking at sort of the expected goals and sort of seeing how they were creating offense. And bottom line was they were converting chances. And if you go to the last three games where they have uh, two losses and a draw with San Jose, you know, everybody, uh, I have have a feeling San Jose and Vancouver fans probably are, are a little bit similar right now, but everybody's hanging big numbers on San Jose and the galaxy go up there and draw zero, zero. Um, so, and, and that was a game that I think they actually created chances, but they didn't finish those chances. And then you go two games after that, both losses, Colorado loss, um, you know, RSL loss, and they're not creating chances. Um, so yeah, I think this team is better than their record. I think that they've shown at times to be better. Um, but also I can't argue with them being where they're at right now. I mean, the bottom line is anybody in this very condensed, very shortened season where we're going to, you know, we, we call the, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Well, this time you're sprinting a marathon. So um, it's, it's one of those, that's what it feels like right now. Anybody who gets hot can immediately climb up the standings. It's not hard. Win two or three games in a row and you'll be in second or third or fourth place. Like it's not hard. We understand where everybody is. And, and you pointed that out, Ben, just how condensed all of everybody is. So, um, you know, it could come down to a couple lucky bounces in terms of one way or the other. But quite honestly, if the Galaxy don't make the playoffs this year, they missed it for a reason right? It's not like I'm going to sit there and say, oh, well, they should have made it, you know, if only this or this. No, they haven't been good enough whenever it's counted. Um, They haven't been putting away the chances. The defense is much improved, but doesn't show it because the offense hasn't been supporting them uh, a lot. So saying all those things, no, the bottom bottom of the table would be fine. If it was middle of the table, I'd be happy with that. If they were above, like in the top three places, I would question that probably more than anything. Okay, and you mentioned the defense there, and that leads me into my next sort of point here. Your back four, for the most part, the season's been pretty unchanged. You've got the same back four, game in, game out. And if you're LA Galaxy fans, you've got to be happy with it. Uh, like you said, they've done pretty well. They only conceded uh, the third fewest goals in the, uh, in the West right now. Can you correlate their sort of consistency of always being the same four, always playing together? Does that kind of go hand in hand with that's why that uh, the Galaxy have conceded so few, not so few goals, but, you know, uh, less than the average bear, you know? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say it's MLS, so the, there, there aren't any, like, excellent defenses because, you know, God forbid anybody would spend money on that. Um, but, no, when you look I mean, at it... Be, I, sorry, Vancouver, you know, we do spend our DP spots on left backs, and we, yeah, we and love broke, it. We, we absolutely love it. So. And you broke one of my cardinal rules, which is, and, and this was a rule whenever Omar Gonzalez was the first defensive designated player in, uh, in, in Major League Soccer was, don't make a defensive player a designated player. <laughs> um, that, 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 that's, it never works out, and by the way, it, it just defense is great. This is my always my argument with MLS. Defense is great, but everybody spends so much money on the offense. Just put money in the offense. Putting money in the defense doesn't necessarily help you, um, which is crazy to think. But it's just sort of the way the league is. That will change, but it hasn't changed. And so we're for right now, spend money in the offense. But uh, no, I mean, I think it's not so much the consistency, and that kind of goes a little bit against things. I, I really think it's the personnel that's back there now. Um, you can add the consistency to that, but it was the change. Uh, People Gonzalez, Giancarlo Gonzalez was brought in to this team last year to sort of solidify the the center back position and he couldn't get it done. And you, you saw it again at the beginning of this year, he was the main reason that the defense was so bad because if you replace him and all of a sudden your defense is, I will say, you know, mechanically sound at least, um, you know, Nick Depew came in and was a guy who wasn't supposed to be playing this year and wasn't supposed to be starting at center back. And he's absolutely the starter at center back. He's been one of the most consistent defenders back there. He makes some mistakes because he's young uh, and he's a striker. So, you know, that's, that always (laughs) screws with center backs too. Um, but when you look at that, uh, that consistency has really been there because of, uh, of Depew and, and Dan Starris. And, and Dan Starris is an underrated center back. I see it all the time. Galaxy fans love to hate him, 
for whatever reason that is. But I always say in Major League Soccer, having two domestic center backs on your back line allows you to spend money so many other places. And if they're good, you know, we go back to the Omar Gonzalez and AJ De La Garza days in LA, where you say, look how good they were. And they weren't spending really that much money on them whenever you, you go back and look at it. Um, and so you're able to spend money in other places. But, but Nick DePue has been there. G, uh, uh, Emiliano and Sua on the left back side has been very good. Um, on the right back side, it's been rotating. Rolf Felcher or Julian Araujo. Julian Araujo is the best defender the LA Galaxy have. He's 19 years old. He won't be with the LA Galaxy for much longer. It's one of those things that you see, but sometimes he plays right mid. We talked about the right mid issue. He's been moving up. Rolf Felcher has been back there. Felcher isn't the best defender, but with Julian in front of him, not a horrible thing. So the defense really comes about because of the change with people Gonzalez. Um, but you have to sort of admire how they've been able to stitch it together with the guys who have been playing and they're solid. Um, you know, they get beat. Absolutely. It happens. You get caught, they get caught ball watching, they get caught spread out. You can attack through the center of the LA galaxy midfield and you, you can get through the LA galaxy defense, like a lot of MLS defenses, but uh, they've been a lot better. So I, I think that's the starting point for the galaxy. And now they just have to shore everything else up in front of them. Mark DeSantos, I hope you're listening. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think you kind of touched on this as well, but uh, I've got it written down. I've asked all my other guests this so far. Who has sort of come out of the woodwork for you and stepped up in a way that maybe at the start of the year you weren't expecting a whole lot from and now they're in the starting 11 or they're the first name coming off the bench? Who has been sort of the surprise in a good way guy for LA this year? Yeah, we talked about Nick DePue. I've touched on Julian Araujo a little. It's Julian Araujo. Um, he's been... Outside of Christian Pavone, who is far and away the best player on the LA Galaxy and is too good for Major League Soccer, and they probably won't be able to buy him, but he doesn't want to go back to Boca, so he'll probably end up in Europe. There's my, my where, where that's all headed. Um, he's outstanding. Seems like, it seems like you've spent some time on that one. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's an ongoing theme. Everybody's like, well, it's only $20 million. They're not going to spend $20 million for Christian Pavone. Just let it go. It's going to happen. So um, he's, he's outstanding. But that being said, you double him, and you can take the LA Galaxy out of their offense. So... Um, outside of Christian Pavone, it's been Julian Araujo. At, at 19 years old, he was sort of underneath, um, you know, Efrain Alvarez, who everybody gets very excited about, um, who's an 18-year-old old, um, and, you know, who's been playing for the LA Galaxy, I think, since he was 15, um, you know, in the academy system and been brought up and been touted as this game changer. And he's not the game changer. He's good. And if he really wants to apply himself, he could probably play in other places, maybe in Mexico, maybe in Europe, maybe Maybe that's a stretch. Yeah. Um, but you look at Julian Araujo. He's 19 years old. He is physically dominating in a way that a 19-year-old kid should not be. Uh, people are afraid to challenge him. People are afraid to go into tackles with him. Uh, he's everywhere. He's up and down the right-hand side. He's in the attack. He's in the defense. He lacks on attack. It's one of his things that he needs to work on, but he's still there all the time. He's still creating chances on that right-hand side. So, um, yeah, it's been Julian Araujo, hands and above. I, everybody, uh, I get accused of having a Julian Araujo man crush, um, which I think is accurate because I watched very few put very few players since I started covering the galaxy in 2009 who have sort of been able to, um, in a matter of games, take over sort of a position and make it their own and, and be this, like this aura on the field as Julian Araujo plays the LA galaxy play better. He got a red card and, you know, in one of the games, uh, against Colorado, get the team comes out really flat, you know, against RSL. It's, it's these things you can sort of tell and, and you can vibe with. Um, and Araujo is an important part of, of the LA Galaxy defense and their attack and everything else. And with Yanni Gonzalez playing in front of him, a guy who's known to go forward and back, 
These are all, we're just predicting this. We've not, we haven't seen the guy play uh, forward and back. It should allow Araujo to be more defensively sound, but still get into the attack on the, on the right hand side. So uh, yeah, I think Julian Araujo is the guy who surprised everybody this year and surprising in a way that uh, major clubs around the world are looking at him. And if he's not gone this winter, he's probably gone next summer. Okay. Um, and then uh, last question here is we're starting to get a little bit crunch your time. Uh, seven of Galaxy's last 10 games are against teams that are currently above the playoff line. Uh, and obviously, like in, I said, it's close, but in Galaxy do find themselves outside the line right now. Do you see the rest of the year going off and uh, LA finishing in a playoff spot? And then a sort of second part of that question is, if they don't make the postseason this year, what's the big question heading into the offseason? Yeah, um... You know, it's funny, the, the teams that are above them outside of Seattle, who they haven't played and who they'll play on the Sunday night. So we'll get to see that, uh, you know, for too long. Um, outside of that, the Galaxy actually have pretty good records against everybody who's above them. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't worry me um, that they're below the line. But again, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde here. We have no idea which LA Galaxy team is going to show up. Um, and so could it be a team that decides it doesn't want to play the second half and just gets run off the ball like an RSL? Could it be a team like uh, whenever they beat LAFC uh, at home, which was, you know, a 3 nothing win where LAFC should have scored maybe seven goals in the first half and didn't, and then the LA Galaxy beat them with three goals in the second half? They're motivated. When they get motivated and head in the right direction, they can do a lot. I don't know how they get motivated this year. I don't know what that switch is. I don't know what that button is. And I'm sure Guillermo Berescalota would love to have the answer to that as well because he doesn't seem to know exactly which buttons to push and, and how to make them go. Um, and I think if they don't make the playoffs this year, one, it'll be a failure, especially with eight teams making it from the, from the Western Conference. Um, yeah, I said, uh, I said like there's a 66% chance that you're going to make the playoffs before any games are played. Like just in, and it's, it's, it's 66% of the teams make the playoffs in the Western conference. So how can you not make the play? It's one of those, it would be, it's very difficult to not make the playoffs. Um, so if they don't do it, then, you know, the question is Guillermo Berchelotto, what's going to happen with him? Because he's been given the keys. He's been given the reins, he's been asked to bring in players along with uh, new general manager, Genesis Closa. They've been given all this freedom. And what do they have to show with it? You know, they have Zlatan dragging the team into the playoffs last year. And, and this year it would be, you know, a monumental collapse. They need to get more out of Jonathan Dos Santos, need to get more out of, uh, out of Chicharito. Those things happen. The Galaxy should be able to make the playoffs. All right. Well, Josh, I think with that, that's going to wrap up our time here. We really thank you for coming on. Unfortunately, like I said, Sebastian's not here. I'm sure he would have loved to have jumped in here as well. But uh, again, we appreciate you coming on. Very insightful. Maybe down the road, we'll have you on again. But for right now, best of luck in the rest of the season. You and your family, obviously COVID times and everything. Uh, yeah, again, it's been great talking to you. Ben, thanks so much for having me on. You guys stay safe. Uh, keep up the great work. All right. All right. Will do. Thanks a lot, Josh. And finally, we are here joined by Nico Moreno, reporter for Sounder at Heart, Pulso Sport, and writer for Football MLS. Uh, Nico, you cover the Seattle Sounders. We're happy to have you on. Uh, you're, close, you're our last guest. You're closing out our uh, six-team preview sort of special here in the 90-plus podcast. So, welcome. Hey, guys. Uh, thank you for having me, first of all. Happy to hop on and uh, talk some soccer, talk some Sounders. Um, just excited, excited to collaborate with you guys. Uh, love you guys' uh, way of uh, putting this thing together. And so I'm just excited to be on. Awesome. We appreciate that, man. Uh, so I guess really sort of just diving straight on in. Uh, obviously, you cover the Sounders. You guys, you know, uh, 
<laughs> it's uh, I'd say it's been a successful season so far from Seattle. You know, the Whitecaps were just on the outside looking in on the playoff race and Seattle <laughs> more than comfortably in the playoff race. It's a tight Western conference, but still uh, it's, it's, it's been a good looking season for Seattle. You've scored the second most goals in the league and you've allowed the third least uh, in your opinion, where is the weakness on the Seattle team? Obviously the white caps, we've playing you in a couple of weeks uh, twice. We've played you already at the MLS's back tournament. Where is Seattle's sort of uh, weak spot on the starting 11? You know, that's an interesting question just because uh, the team has had some excellent performances where everything seems to go well, where every single player seems to fit. And there's been some where, uh, whether it's uh, woes in the defensive end or maybe a player being out because in Seattle in this particular time with this particular scheme and way of play, if one of those key players is missing, it really changes the way everybody else plays. And so uh, with that said, I would still point out to the defensive end that the issue is, and it's very well documented that the player who accompanies Yamar Gomez Andrade, which was uh, brought in uh, from Santa Fe this year, is a newcomer, but has been excellent his time in Seattle. Whoever is next to him seems to bring back that defensive back line a few notches, and that's where things start to go wrong. Uh, so I, I would think that defensively the team – needs to get more consistency, needs to get more chemistry because there's so much rotation in that back end, whether it's on the left back position with Jovan Jones, Nuhu, and now uh, Brad Smith, who's with the team, and then that center back that accompanies Yamar because uh, they've been traded in between Shane O'Neill and Javier Arriaga. So I would say the defensive line and the lack of consistency is the weakness of the Seattle Sounders today. Yeah, and we were actually just going to get into the center back talk for Seattle. I mean, it's it's been it hasn't been as tough as we would have thought, considering the Sounders uh, said goodbye to Roman Torres and Kim Kihee over the off season. Um, but Yamar Gomez Andrade seems to have settled in uh, a lot better. Um, but what do you think about the center back's position specifically to what you just mentioned, the the position right next to Gomez Andrade? What do you think the Sounders need? Um, in terms of a center back, do they need like a ball playing center back next to Gomez Andrade to make it work? Or um, should they maybe bring in someone from their youth teams? What do they have to do to really solidify that back line with uh, Gomez Andrade? I think I'm in the minority here because I know the potential of Javier Arriaga. I understand and I'm well aware that he had an atrocious MLS's back tournament. I understand that he's had several games where mistakes, uh, whether it's on how to handle a ball or how to defend a particular one-on-one, -on -one, has made him look bad. But then I go back and I remember that when he was brought on in 2019, the idea was for him to be a prospect for the future. Garth Lagerway said when he when he brought in Arriaga that they moved in on the signing knowing that if they waited on that, his market value would go up. 
He was in the bubble for the national team. He was the captain of uh, Barcelona and Ecuador. So they knew that he had a lot of potential. So when they brought him on, they did not expect him to be a starter. However, Chad Marshall has a knee injury, retires. Have, uh, Roman Torres has issues with substance uh, issues uh, with the league and has to be suspended. Uh, Kim Ki is in and out. So Ariaga has to come in and kind of play a role that I don't think he was particularly ready for. Now we fast forward to today, and I still think that in for right now, he has not had that consistency with a particular partner. And I think we all know here that whenever you play center back, that communication, that chemistry, that ability to understand the tendencies of your partner is key. And I don't think he's had that. Said that, I think that he is really what Seattle should be focused on, is giving him consistency. I spoke to Brian Spencer this week, and I asked him, if this rotation with Shane O'Neill was what he was was planning on or if he wanted to settle into a particular duo. And he said, no, we want to settle. That's what we want to do. We want to make sure that we find that right partner. So to kind of wrap it all up, I think that Arriaga is the answer. I think that you got to give him some time to get used to Yamar. I know for a fact that Yamar feels more comfortable with Javier than he does with Shane. I think that they kind of complement each other better. Um, And therefore, I think that the way to fix this is for Javier to have more time, more consistency, a little bit more uh, confidence from the staff, and let him settle into this position next to Yamar. You may have already sort of touched on this and maybe given us your answer, but... uh... In, in your opinion, Nico, who in, in Seattle's locker room this year, who's come out of the woodwork and sort of surprised you on this team, stepping up in a bigger way than maybe people thought he would have at the start of the year? Ooh, another great question. Um, Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I would we say, try, try. <laughs> no, that's great, guys. Absolutely. You guys are definitely throwing some uh, excellent questions here. Um, just to move on from Yamar, because I, I do think that he's been a huge factor uh, in the locker room and out of it. Uh, maybe um, JP, Joe Paulo, uh, I feel like he is someone who has brought equilibrium to the team. He gives the team a lot of balance from that um, CDM position, but still with the ability to open up the field and uh, kind of push up high whenever he needs to be another associate that can uh, move into the attacking end and find players uh, in that final third. And although he's not the fastest player and physically, uh, visually, like, well, this guy can just cover a lot of ground, his anticipation and vision and just overall IQ of soccer really allows him to play great defense. We just saw it in the last game that although it was a loss, he was really everywhere on, on the field, moving, uh, being able to play defense. So I think he's that player that maybe a lot of people didn't expect him to be as good as he has been, or at least I can tell you right now, me, I didn't, I did not expect him to be so good defensively sound. Um, so I, I think he's been the, that surprise for me, someone who has really become a key player for these four, two, three, one that Brian Smetzer plays. And I think he makes everybody better. He makes 
Nico better because he gives him somebody else that can help distribute the ball. He makes uh, the center backs better because he kind of comes in in between that back line. And for a Seattle team that likes to build out on the back, he gives them that confidence to build from their defensive third. So I think he's been that player that for me has been surprising in that regard. And he's now a key player for this team. Brand new coming in from Botafogo in Brazil. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, the Sounders were missing a little bit of a of a defensive mid type of player with Ozzy Alonso leaving to Minnesota last year. And yeah, I agree with you, man. Like, he's definitely filled in a void uh, in midfield. Uh, moving just on to the, uh, the striker position, obviously, Raul Ruiz rules that spot in Seattle, and he's had a great record um, for the past couple of seasons that he's been there. Um, but maybe, maybe would you say the Sounders are kind of missing a a death piece at the striker position. Obviously, Will Bruin is there, but he's had a little bit of injury problems as well. Um, we know Freddie Montero from the Whitecaps uh, has had some great seasons in Seattle, and he's been rumored to be leaving Vancouver this upcoming offseason. Could you maybe see Montero go to Seattle and play maybe a backup role for Raul Diaz and maybe even take over Will Bruin's spot? <laughs> Man, look at you guys just trying to take my my scoops, man. What's going on here? I, 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 don't, I don't like that. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how far you guys follow me, but my thing is scoops, the, the transfer window. And uh, just to give you guys credit, uh, yes, I, I see that as a possibility. I think that... Uh, there we go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> we've all seen Seattle's ability to bring back players. I mean, we've been talking about this ever since Brad, Bis uh, Brad Smith came back. They've brought Brad Evans back. They've brought uh, Hercules Gomez. They've they, they just been able to just do so, so many things, bringing certain players back and, 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 and play roles with the team. Uh, even Gonzalo Pineda, who was here as a player, now he's back with the team as a, um, a assistant uh, to Brian Smetzer. I think that Seattle likes that part of it. And, They've always had this connection with Freddie. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that there's constant communication with the player, uh, but I do feel that players, members of this team, do talk to uh, Freddie constantly. Uh, he has a coffee shop here in Seattle. Mm -hmm. He has uh, a certain relationship with the city. And I do believe he's not happy with how he's been treated recently with Vancouver. And now he's showed up to play recently. You know, he's been fantastic. But prior to that, I know he was concerned about the lack of playtime uh, after the MLS's back turn. I mean, I, even I talked to uh, Coach Dos Santos and asked him why that was. And he mentioned because he felt like Freddie was not in game shape compared to the players who went to the tournament. So mm -hmm. with all that, I believe that, yes, uh, Freddie Montero could bring depth to this team. I think he would fit well in many positions. He knows a lot of these players here. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think that that's something that I'm following. I will let you guys know for sure that I, I have been uh, tracking his progress with the team. As we all know, he's in a contract year, and, you know, more than likely he won't resign with Vancouver, in my opinion. So looking at options, look at where he's at. Knowing him as a person and, and a, as a family man, I know that he wants to stay where he's at. And Seattle, it just seems like a no-brainer if that's what Seattle would like to do. And we'll let you know if we hear anything on our end too. Like we even saw, we even saw Freddie has a still, he still has a Washington plate on his car. So <laughs> oh, yeah. 
make what you will of that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, he, and he has family members here, man. I mean, he, and, yeah, and he, he's he and he's here often. I mean, I I know he's here often. I, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna go into the uh, personal relationship with the player, but you know, I do know he he comes here uh, to Seattle, and and I, I do believe he has a connection with the city, with fan base. Everybody loves him. Everybody loves Freddie. Uh, anytime that there is uh, a good moment from Seattle or like a good highlight reel of the entire franchise, there's three, four, five goals of Freddie Montero. So he is definitely one of the early faces of the franchise. So why not, why not bring him back when, just like you said, there is a certain lack of depth here. Uh, but, but going back to your question, uh, obviously Will Bruin, I, he's fantastic. I, I love Will Bruin. I think that a lot of people don't realize how effective he is on everything he does. He knows how to hold the ball well. He's excellent with his first touches. Uh, he plays better with his back against goal than a lot of players in the team. Because Raul likes to play different, right? They're different players. So I think Will Bruin definitely brings something up. But I think that Freddie would be a great addition. I, th I think he would fit well. Uh, just the last question. We are a little bit crunched with time. So just the last sort of thing before we wrap up here. Uh, obviously, like we said, Seattle's, it's been a pretty successful season so far. You know, you can't really be in a better spot right now than Seattle is, top of the West. Uh, at this point, obviously, it's a tight Western Conference. I think it's six points separates first from 11. So a lot can change and a lot can still happen. But the way that Seattle's played this season and gone out and put in some impressive performances out there, is it would it be a disappointment if they didn't walk away with the cup this year? Is like, is, is it only going to be considered a successful season if they're lifting the MLS cup in December or is are there other like positive, obviously there's going to be positives, but is it sort of the cup or nothing at this point for Seattle? Oh man. Uh, once again, uh, <laughs> stomping me there. Um, I, I guess it depends who you ask. Uh, if you were to maybe talk to, you know, the coaches, you know, they, they, they might say that. I mean, I don't know, man. My opinion in particularly is that that's not the case. I think that Seattle has, a, has an excellent team and can they make it there? Can they win the cup? Absolutely. I think that they have the talent to do so. Uh, but in terms of their, their depth and what they've maybe brought in this season, uh, I don't necessarily think that it's a win or uh, mm -hmm. or not, you know, uh, you yeah. know, if they don't make it, it's not a bust year. I don't think so because they're building this team uh, to kind of move into the, into the next level. You know, they, there's a lot of young kids that are part of this roster. If you really look into the bench, they're not really using a lot of them. Han Wallawana, uh, Justin Dillon, Danny Leva, who has a broken foot. I think that this year, Seattle came in with the idea that uh, they wanted to maybe develop some players. And this whole COVID situation has not allowed that to happen because it's really minimized the use of the coma players mm -hmm. from uh, Sanders players playing at Tacoma and from Tacoma players maybe practicing and working with the first team. Uh, so I, I don't think that it, it's a bust year because the objective was differently. I mean, if you really think about it, they just brought in two players, uh, JP and um, Guillermo Gomez Andrade. 
uh, I think that there's still a lot of room for improvement in this team. Uh, they could use another winger. Uh, there is maybe potential for uh, another center defensive midfield for the future because Gustav, I'm not sure how long he's going to be here. Uh, so considering the way this roster is built and considering um, just a year in, in, in a nutshell, I don't think that it's necessary that Seattle is going to win the Cup. I think they're contenders, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely, and they've shown you that. Um, my only concern is if one of those pieces of the starting 11 is not healthy, it could really affect the team. Because as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, at the beginning of the show, there's certain players, there's certain base uh, that Seattle has. If you pull one of those, the team looks completely different. If JP goes out, if Nico goes out, if I think Yammer Gomazadreya was to go out, Raul Ridias, just the team just looked different. As much as I love Will Bruin, uh, and I think he'll play well uh, against the LA Galaxy, it's still just not Raul Ridias, you know, the guy who's your top leading scorer, who's always there for the big games. Uh, You just don't have that edge with it. So that's why I don't believe that if they don't make it to the Cup, it it will be a bust year because of how they kind of approach this season because of COVID and the way that has changed the season and everything else for this club. Well, Nico, thanks so much for uh, all your input on the Sounders. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Um, we wish we could talk for longer, obviously, but we're a little bit uh, stretched over time. But, yeah, thanks so much, man, for all the input on the Sounders. Um, and we wish you good luck for the rest of the season, obviously. And, uh, and yeah, we hope to cross paths in the future once again. No, guys, thanks for having me. I hope it's not the last time. <laughs> I hope that we can continue to collaborate. Um, definitely um, love to work with other media members across the league. So uh, just happy to do it, guys. Uh, let's, let's make it uh, another time, hopefully longer. And I apologize because I am well known for taking one answer and talking for about three, four minutes. <laughs> it might be a Latino thing. That's just the way it, you can expand your idea. Uh, so yeah uh, definitely happy to be here guys uh, yeah let's do it next time no Absolutely. we love it we love long answers every yeah. journalist likes long answers you know it. <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks a lot Nico thanks for coming on thanks guys have a good one you too well we've come to the end of another 90 plus podcast episode uh, thank you so much to all of our guests here today William Conwell from the Rose City Review Uh, Josh Gussman from the Corner of the Galaxy podcast and Nico Moreno from Sounder at Heart and Pulso Sports. Thanks so much to all of you guys for coming on and uh, chatting about the rest of the MLS season for uh, the Portland Timbers, the LA Galaxy and the Seattle Sounders each respectively. Um, It was great talking to you guys once again. Thanks so much. And uh, you guys will be able to find uh, all of those guys on Twitter. They'll be uh, reposting, obviously, uh, the podcast once it goes up on the 90 plus podcast Twitter at 90 plus podcasts um we'll be tagging them there as well so you guys can check them out as well um and yeah you can also find myself and ben rigetti on twitter you can find me at sebastian p74 and ben rigetti at rigetti ben yes sir i i still know it i i i'm it, it's you natural it. for me now you got it you, you got yeah, it i got it down um but yeah ben what you wanted to tell the the listeners something we, right we have a we have a little bit of news um not big news, but, you know, it's worth noting. Uh, in the coming weeks, obviously, uh, the Whitecaps have 10 games over the next 
five, six weeks, whatever it might be. Uh, and that is, you know, we try to sort of keep up with one after every episode. And it's, it, it, we saw in the MLS's back tournament and when the Canadian, we were out on the Eastern road trip, it is sometimes a bit difficult. Obviously, Sebastian's a full-time student. I'm working and I'm doing part-time studies. Plus, we have, you know, there's other things going on as well. Other Whitecaps coverage, again, you can find that on our Twitters and stuff. So it is sometimes hard to sit down for an hour or so, hop on the microphone and chat, especially in a timely manner right after a game or whatever. So we've decided every Thursday and Sunday we will be recording. So most likely the episodes will be coming out later on in the day on Thursdays and Sundays. So for the re- at least for the rest of the season, that looks like it's roughly going to be reviewing a game and previewing a game. It might not be the day after the game. It might be a couple of days, but at the same time, it will be a closer to a preview of the next one. So we kind of figured Thursdays and Sundays are a good middle ground. They both, those, both those days work for myself and Sebastian. So hopefully you guys are going to be okay with that, uh, waiting a couple extra days maybe after game or whatever it may be. Uh, if that falls on a game day, we might move it to the Wednesday or whatever, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, we're going to pr- uh, tell everyone this on our Twitter again at 90 plus podcast. Uh, so go check us out on there. We're going to be dropping a sort of white caps news. Our 90 plus news, obviously stuff like this. It's at the end of a long episode. Maybe not everyone's made it to this point or whatever. So we're going to be tweeting that out as well. Uh, so yeah, so just mark your calendars Thursdays and Sundays moving forward. Um, and I guess with that, uh, Sebastian. Yeah. I mean, once again, uh, if you're new around here, obviously we've had a lot of guests over the last two episodes. So if you're new around here and it's your first time checking us out, obviously give us a follow on our social media handles on Twitter. Um, and yeah, stay tuned. Cause we're going to bring, be bringing out a lot more stuff, uh, not only this season for the rest of the season, but next season, it's going to be big for 90 plus as well. So, um, some wheels you'll, just have to, you'll just have to tune in and see see what we got going on. But once again, guys, thanks for uh, tuning in here at the 90 Plus Podcast. And I uh, hope you guys are all having a great month. Stay safe uh, from COVID and all that stuff. So, yeah, thanks for tuning in, guys. See you guys later. Talk next time.